Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today, we will hear from Dave Carroll, our lead pastor, as we continue the series, Attitudes of the Heart, with the message entitled, Joy in Trials, from Philippians chapter 1. Let's join in now. The, the key principle for today, as we move from Jesus-centered relationships into our second attitude of the heart, which is joy in trials. I know that all of us in this room don't always experience joy in our trials, do we? When life gets difficult, uh, I, I think that we experience some other things, don't we? We experience pain. We experience anger. We experience a very bad reality TV show, right, in our own living room, right? And, and we, we experience all these things. And today, we will learn how to have a second attitude of the heart, which is so important, and that is joy in trials. Now, everybody look at your program, and I want us to read this key statement allowed together, because this, it, this will help you get going mentally on what's happening. Here it is, uh, the key statement. Let's read it together. One, two, three. We have perfectly surrendered our hearts to get the exact attitude we usually display in trials. Let that sink in for a second. You and I have perfectly surrendered our hearts to get the exact attitude that we usually display in trials. You see, anytime you're squeezed, whatever you've put inside of you, whatever you've surrendered to, usually comes out. It's very obvious. You see, biblically speaking, uh, you see there in Galatians chapter 5 that it says this. Galatians 5.17, the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You see, you have two choices in this life to surrender your heart to. The first one is everything else but Jesus. And, and I'll never forget... Uh, I went to a seminary class, my very first one, and if you don't know what seminary is, it's like college for pastors. And uh, I'll never forget this line. It was on the first day of class. Uh, the pastor said, people are like sponges. That's really who, what we're like, aren't we? We're kind of like sponges. And it's when we're squeezed, <laughs> you find out what we've put into us. It, we can't fake that, can we? Trials are the thing in our life that, that really cause us to have to be authentic, even when we really don't like what we see. You see... If I put this sponge in ketchup, what's going to come out of it? Ketchup, that's right. And it's, not, and it's not very pretty. It's not very pretty. It's going to be red. It's going to be nasty. It's going to ruin my brand new Miami Hurricane jersey that I got to root for this season. But, but see, if I showed you the bottom of this pan, there's no way I could stick this thing into this ketchup water, <laughs> pull it out, and have it be pure. Is there? I mean, if I put this sponge in there... Every time I squeeze it, ketchup is going to come out. And, and that's what Scripture is saying, the sinful nature or the, the nature of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I put this in pure water, what has, it has no choice but to do what when I squeeze it? Pure water. And today, as we deal with attitudes of the heart, I want you to know this. Today, God wants you to be the sponge, your life to be the sponge that's dipped in his pure word, that's dipped in his way of doing life, 
that's dipped in, in a way that is not like this world. It, it, it's one of these things that even when you're squeezing, when trials happen in your life, and some of you have some pretty crazy trials going on in your life right now. I know there are people who are facing death. There are people who are facing divorce. There are people who are facing financial ruin. But, but I want to tell you today that it is possible that when life squeezes you, when circumstances squeeze you, it is possible for pure joy to come out of your life. It's possible, and it's found in the scripture. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1 together. Philippians chapter 1, and let's start at verse 12. As we start this, we're going to look at four areas that must be surrendered to God for joy to arise in your heart during trials. If you want joy, if you want to say, hey, I want this life to matter. Hey, I want my faith in Christ to matter. Check this out in verse 12. Now, we're going to stop just a second to set the stage for those of you in Philippians. What's happening? I was studying today, I mean this week, and I was just dumbfounded at what Paul was doing while he was writing this letter. So check this out. We're going to stop mid verse 12. But I want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened to me. Now, you may say, Dave, what happened to Paul? Paul is the one who authored the letter. Hey, thanks for asking, right? <laughs> what did happen to Paul? Well, are you ready? Paul wrote this letter from prison, from jail. And, and today we, we read through this in our eyes and we look at it and we go, well, prison, that's like where you get three square a day for free, right? There's air conditioning and, and, and the taxpayers pay uh, for, for prison. And, and sometimes we don't relate to the trials that we see in the Bible. We go, you know what? The Bible trials can't be as bad as my trials because, you know, that's Paul and he's some hero of the faith. He's a major league all-star, right? Well, no, that's not necessarily true. You ready for this? This is the potential jail. Now, it's not certain, but many scholars believe this is the kind of jail that Paul sat in. It was a hole 12 feet in the ground, all right? You could only get in by a Roman guard who would drop you in and drop whatever you came with, and you would go bloop, and you'd be about 12 foot on the bottom. No windows, all right? No anything. Four, <laughs> if, that, if that wasn't bad enough, if that wasn't bad enough, they would put this jail next to the marketplace, all right? Next to the marketplace, where after it rained, all the trash, the animal feces, the human feces, and everything else ungodly and nasty would flow into that jail hole. Woo. Does your situation sound a little bit better right about now? Just a little bit? It would flow into the jail hole, and Paul is writing this piece of scripture right here. Let this come alive for you for a second. Envision that. Here's a guy potentially sitting down in a hole with water filling up nasty. You know, it, it doesn't drain very well. It's just gross down there. And he writes verse 12 and he says, but I want you to know brothers that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Here is a guy that is excited about his situation. He's excited about his trials. You and I can be excited that exact same way in this life. We can be sitting down in the pit of, of everything we never expected to happen in this life where all of our hopes and dreams are shattered. We can be sitting down there and we can have joy just like Paul did. 
And here's your first blank before we continue reading. Area number one that must be surrendered is my life goals. I can't imagine for just a second, I can't imagine what Paul must be thinking in the jail, you know? Paul growing up, who knows what he wanted to be when he grew up, you know? I have four boys, and they all want to be a football player. It's Jersey Sunday, so I'll stick with the football illustration. They, they want to be a football player. They have dreams and hopes and aspirations. Well, we all know there's this big nasty thing called adulthood that kind of just sideswipes all that, right? And, and it's like things just didn't pan out the way we dreamed it would pan out. But here is Paul sitting with joy. And why is he sitting there with joy? Because he was able to surrender his heart's desires in the area of his life goals. And what did he replace it with? There in verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel. Do you see that he would, he would sit in any trial if the name of Jesus could be proclaimed? He would sit in any trial because he knew what he was ultimately going, wanting to accomplish and it matched what God wanted to accomplish. I want to ask you a question. What are you aiming at in life? <laughs> what are you aiming at in life? Are, are, you, are your hopes and dreams at a place where there's a dead end? When every time a trial comes, it sideswipes it? Because here's what Paul found out, that when he surrendered his own personal life goals and he made Jesus the goal, he made Jesus the goal, all of a sudden, his goal in life could not be thwarted. Do you get that? That we serve a big enough God, we serve a strong enough God that when we put our trust in him and he is our goal and expanding his name is our goal, do you think God is gonna let his name stop being famous? <laughs> no, no way. Do you think God is not gonna let the gospel go forward? No way. It's unstoppable, it's an unstoppable force. People have been trying to kill the church for years and Paul hopped on this train and said, not my goals, not my dreams, but God only your will, only your will. And, and uh, a modern day Paul is uh, Danny Werfel. And I hate to use this because he, where I'm from in Florida, this is a bad word. He's a Florida gator, okay? And uh, yeah, there's too many arrests. You know, no control of the program whatsoever. Um, they're terrible. But uh, if you don't know who Danny Werfel is, Danny Werfel is a 1996 Heisman Trophy quarterback who also... <laughs> won the championship that year. And uh, that's one of our uh, hurricane arch rivals, for those of you who don't know. Um, he won the championship that year. And here's a guy who made a similar adjustment to Paul in modern day life. Um, you think in a, a Heisman candidate or winner, championship winner in the NCAA, uh, he played six years of NFL football or seven, five years, something like that. And uh, you would think this guy has it made. He got rich, right? He got paid. He has everything. Well, you know what he did in 2002? He decided to stop playing the NFL game, and he decided to move to downtown New Orleans. Now, if you've never been to New Orleans, Louisiana, it is, it is truly one of, one of the poorest places in the nation. It, it, it's just a dump. It's, it's dead. And this guy changed his life from being hotshot millionaire football player, and he said, I'm going to take all the money I have, and I'm going to start a ministry called Desire Street Ministries. Now, play this movie forward when you start to align your goals and you cut them out, you know, but you start to align to God's one goal of making his name famous through our lives, through our lives. In 2002, he started this ministry. 
What happened in 2005? A hurricane came through New Orleans called what? Katrina. Called Katrina. And it wiped out his entire ministry. Do you know it wiped out everything he had? Everything he had. Here's a guy that had sacrificed, and now everything he had sacrificed for was gone. Well, you know what happened? That got in the news. People found out Danny Werfel is doing this in New Orleans, Louisiana. He's, he's helping poor, the poorest of the poor and part of our country. And you know what happened? A bunch of people decided to support him so much that his ministry now spans four states, and it's, it's becoming a national ministry to the poor and without his money. You see, your trials... Your trials get magnified when you have to accomplish your own goals. But when you're willing to adjust your viewpoint of life and you're willing to adjust to God's standards, there is joy in trials because you know that the thing that you're aiming for cannot be stopped. Look at verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 13. So, the things which happened to him actually turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13 says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that he's not chained to a wall, right? And they had different ways of chaining people to these walls, even down there. Some of the, some of the chains would keep them like within inches of the wall, and that's all they could do. Paul had a little bit of leeway. If they trusted the prisoner, they'd give him a longer chain. And so Paul had a little bit longer of a chain because he could obviously write, right? You know, he could... He could uh, think about stuff. He wasn't in agony down there, obviously, to write all this. Uh, But he said, my chains are not the chains that tie me to this wall. They, everyone around him, the Roman guards, and they said, Paul, you all right down there? They knew that what was chaining him to the wall was not physical chains. It was not the trials of this life, but it was his mission of making Jesus famous. Is Jesus becoming famous through your life? Or your trials becoming famous in your life? When those around you who are closest to you, are, are, are they going, wow, I, uh, I, I know who, who he's about. I know who she's about. They're angry all the time. They're bitter all the time. You know why? Because they haven't found the joy in trials by surrendering their life goal. Check out verse 14. Here's your second blank. The second thing that you must surrender to have joy arise in your heart, to come out of your heart when you're squeezed, is your impact on others. Your impact on others. Look at verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by his chains, right, his chains to Christ and his chains uh, to the wall in the prison, the people around him are becoming more confident. And here's what's happening. They are much more bold to speak the word without, what's that word? Fear. They're much more bold to speak God's word without fear. Now, I want to ask you a very, very, very important question. This is one of the most important questions I could ask you. This actually ties in with Jesus-centered relationships. This is a great application point from last week. What are you inspiring others to pursue? Think about that for a second. The people around you, because they know you, because they they, they know your name. They know your occupation. They know a little bit about your routine. Because you have fun with them, you cry with them, you laugh with them, what are you challenging them to pursue? What is it? Let me, let me, let me, let me challenge you this way. 
some of us are hoping that our kids become rich so they can take care of us, right? We're pushing them to pursue that. Some of us want our kids to be smart so that we don't have to, be, we don't have to pay for college. And, and we'll push them for that. We'll push our spouse, husband or wife, to meet our needs, right? And you better be my need meter. You better make sure that I'm taken care of. You know, and the ladies often, you know, want that in the area of security because they have what Dave Ramsey calls the security gland that men don't have right about, right about here, right? They're like, hey, you better be taking care of my security. Guys are saying, hey, baby, you better keep me satisfied, right? Hey, you, you, better, you better make sure that my eyes are only for you and you, it's on you. And we push we push all the relationships around us to the brink in areas that do not match Christ. And we don't surrender our hearts about what our impact is on other people. And here's what ends up happening. People let you down. And many times they've let us down because they're doing what we influence them to do in the first place. You may be wondering, where are my best friends in my trials? Hey, how come this person I used to count on is nowhere to be found when I'm going through the biggest struggle in my life? And you know what the truth is? They're only off doing what you told them was important to do. You may need help in your marriage and you may need a a kid to step up. But you know what they're off doing? They're off pursuing money or they're off pursuing fame or they're off pursuing material goods. And why? Because we haven't done what, what Paul did here in verse 14. We haven't even made not just our good times, but our bad times and our trials. We haven't made them a point of influence to when, when people look at our lives, they go, man, even when life is jacked up, even when I don't understand it, even when I'm in this dry place that doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> Wow, people look at this and they go, even when someone's in that kind of situation, they're still praising God. They still have joy. When they're squeezed, pure joy comes out. And that's amazing. And you want to influence other people? Influence them by pursuing Jesus even in your trials instead of walking away. Influence them by even in your greatest joys, pursue Jesus instead of stuff. And, And make it known that your influence for other people, your impact on others... is going to be for Christ. It's going to be for Christ. That your chains, in verse 14, are causing other people to be more confident in their relationship with God. Let me ask you this question. Who is the last person that was more confident in their relationship with God because of how you reacted during a trial? Let me ask you a flip side. How many people probably are turned off to who God is because of how you responded when you are squeezed. There can be joy in trials, but we have to surrender our impact on others. And and, and we have to say, you know what? I'm going, all the goals and dreams that I want for other people, I'm going to, I'm going to give those to the Lord and I'm going to put Christ and Christ alone up top. Now here's the third blank, the third blank. And this is a big one. Okay. It's the impact of imperfection. How many of you really hate when other people are imperfect, right? (laughs) You know, it's like, Hey, I am perfect, and uh, I, I really don't like other people's imperfections. You know, it's kind of like, 
I, when, when, I, when I say a cuss word, it, you know, it's because I'm angry and it's righteous, right? But when you cuss, man, you better watch your mouth, you know? Uh, or, or, when, or, or how about when, when I get angry, you know, when I get angry at the kids and yell, <laughs> you know, it's because I'm the parent and I am parenting. But when they yell, it's like, watch your mouth, young man, right? Yeah, it's like we hate the imperfections of others, but we have to learn to surrender this. Uh, and before we read the scripture, I just want to let you know that when, when we really struggle with dealing with imperfections in ourselves and with other people, um, what it does is it turns our focus in and, and we start infighting instead of focusing on the joy that Jesus gives even in our most difficult situation. It reminds me of this old Super Bowl commercial uh, of Leon, and I just want you to watch this real short, 30 seconds. Check it out. Leon, your reactions following today's devastating loss. <laughs> Football is a team sport, man. So uh, I gotta put the loss squarely on the shoulders of my supporting cast. <laughs> man, I've been carrying these guys the whole season, but I can't do it all. I need some help. So your four fumbles weren't a factor in your run? Not if one of those other guys would have jumped on the ball. Again, Leon can't do everything. Well, ain't no we either. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever felt like Leon? You got yourself caught in that trap when, when life is squeezing you, or maybe you've hit a dry time. You know, we start blaming other people, don't we? But I want you to look here in Philippians, in verse 15 through 17, and look at Paul's unselfishness. Look how his joy in trials, how he's hanging on to Christ and surrendering the attitude of his heart. Look how this helps him cut through the difficulty that he's going through and he's able to keep his eyes on Christ and not get caught up in a bunch of garbage in this trial, in this jail cell that he's in. Verse 15 says this, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy or strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from what kind of ambition? Selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing, what are they trying to do? To add affliction, to add hurt, to the chains that he's in. Can you imagine? Here's Paul, who, if you were here last week, you know that he's gone on this humongous journey, right? Here's a guy that got, got a blinded in Damascus, and now he finds himself in Rome trying to further God's name, and, and, and he's just trying to get God's word at. And do you know that there are people who are even trying to heckle him in the jail, saying, hey, Paul, have fun down there. I'm going, to, I'm going to go off and do your work since you can't do it and since you keep getting in trouble. And they're trying to add and heap insults on him. Do you ever have people heap insults on you right when you're down and need at least? Right now? You know what I'm saying? Doesn't it stink when you, uh, you, you know, you're having the worst day in the world and someone comes and adds to your affliction? <laughs> people can do that. And, and many times what ends up happening is you see Jesus up here saying, hey, 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 eyes on me. Eyes on me on me, but every time you hear someone heckling you or taking your job, this is what happened here. Have you ever had someone take your job wrongfully at work? <laughs> That's what happened to Paul. There's people going, hey, since you can't do it, I'm just going to step over here and do it and see if I can take your place. I'm going to see if I can become the man, right? Or the woman, but not Paul. Paul was able to cut through this and look at verse 17. He was able to tune out all the imperfection going on in the people around him. He was able to surrender that to God. God, I know and you know that I'm imperfect and that these people are imperfect, so let's move on through this trial. Do you get what I'm saying? 
So let's move on. There's going to be imperfection. And he says this. He focuses on the people that had been building him up in the trial. The latter, that's the people who are preaching from goodwill. Do it out of, what's this four-letter word that we know? Love. Knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. You see, if you'll quit focusing on the imperfection of people around you in your trial and focus on the people that God has given you, the people that, have, that, that, that are in the game with you, that are trying to help you, that are doing it out of love, who know who you are and, and want to see you succeed in God's eyes and want to see you um, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the people who know that trials are going to come. You know, many people think that imperfection is some, something that's happening because you're not walking with God right. Well, here's the truth. Do you know that 99% of the Christians that ever walked this earth, that ever walked the planet, have been in poverty, have been poor, and have had trials? So the whole idea that following God gets, your, gets rid of your trials, <laughs> that's not there. But you know what he wants to do? While people are imperfect, he wants to be the one who is perfect, who walks with you through the pain, through the sorrow, through the struggle. That's who Jesus is. That's who Paul grabbed onto. And so he was able to cut through and not get caught up in name-calling, not get caught up in bickering and bitterness. Now, there are three important things of imperfection that I, I know that we need to get, we, we need to get through. Um, write these down. They're not in your program, but write them down. We have to get through imperfect people of our past. Imperfect people of our past. Imperfect people of our present. And imperfect people in our future. See, Paul was dealing with the present, but here's the reality in the room. I know that many of us can't get through trials with joy. We can't get this attitude of the heart down. Because there's somebody or something from your past, there's something that happened that you can never get over. Well, I'm here to tell you today, Paul had a pretty bad trial, and he was able to get through it with joy. And today, I, I want to challenge you this, just like Paul did in verse 15 and 16, where he said, you know what, these guys are trying to be selfish, they're trying to get me, but you know what, I'm going to forgive them. Well, today be the day of forgiveness for people who who have hurt you, imperfect people who have wrecked your life. Will today be the day where you let go and surrender the imperfection of people who are hurting you? Because if you don't, every time you're squeezed, the nasty stuff is going to come out. It's going to come out. But Paul was able to have pure joy because he forgave, because he moved forward, because he kept his eyes on Christ and the resource he was providing. Look at our fourth area of surrender. Now that you know where, where he's been in jail, and now that you know what's happened to him relationally, and what's happened to his goals and dreams and hopes, and he surrendered all these things to God, here's your fourth blank. He surrendered his bottom line. And that's what we need to surrender, our bottom line in life. Knowing everything that just happened to Paul, check out verses 18 through 20. This blows me away that he can write this 
sitting in a jail cell full of animal feces, full of the, the, the town trash, with people heckling him, with people trying to take his job, with people trying to take his status. And this is what he says. What then? Only that in every way, whether it's in pretense, some other versions say falsehood, or in truth. What did he care about? Let's read this together. That what? Christ is preached. There's his goal showing up, isn't it? And check this out. And in this, what does he say? I what? Rejoice. And he doesn't just write it once. What does he say? Yes and will what? Rejoice. There is the the sponge being squeezed in Paul and pure joy flowing out of him. And it's possible for you and I to have this kind of joy if we will have that kind of surrender to God. Do you get it? It's possible to have joy in this life. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and by the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. No one supplies better than the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And you may wonder, what do I pray? Remember last week, verses 9, 10, 11? We get this stuff straight from the Bible. It's not me making it up. It's not, hey, Dave's three ways to pray. But it, we pray in verse 9, it said that, that our love may abound more in what we know and what we do. Verse 10, that we'll see things through the eyes of Scripture. Verse 11, that we'll be filled with the fruit of what, all that is right in Jesus and give glory and honor to him. We need to pray for these things. This is the kind of prayer that was going on between Paul and the Philippian church. And, and, and Jesus will supply. This is Paul's bottom line, you know? This is it. In verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. Do you see his earnest expectation and hope? Everything he wanted in this life was centered around Christ. And out of that, he drew his joy. And, and, and you're in the, you may be in the room going, Dave, this is spiritual talk. This is church stuff. I pray and I have no joy. Hey, I, I, I try to trust God and I have no joy. Well, I would tell you this. It's because you have not surrendered your bottom line to Jesus Christ. How do you determine your bottom line? Dave, what are you talking about? It's answering this question. What is the one thing? <laughs> you may want to write this down this week and spend some time thinking about this. What is the one thing that must be said of your life? when it ends. The one thing. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? What is it that has to be said of me? That'll tell you what you're surrendering to. Are you surrendering to the pan of this world that is filled with guilt and bitterness and, and, and just terrible, terrible anger? Are you are you surrendering to the Holy Spirit and to Christ? And is he your one thing that produces the joy that he wants to give? And in verse 20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I will be ashamed. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that you're ashamed of nothing? <laughs> ashamed of nothing. And you know what? Paul had some things to be ashamed of. He was a murderer. He approved of murders. He, he was terrible. But he, could, he said, I'm ashamed of nothing in my past. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by what? Life or by death. And this sets up next week our next attitude of our willingness to work. But I want to ask you this question. What is your bottom line today? 
what are you really bowing down to in this life? You know, I, I have fun, and I, I love football. Hey, shoot, I even just put Jersey Day up on the map. But you know what? God even convicted my heart a long time ago. Dave, you can't surrender to football. You know what? If you're going to lead people to Christ, it can't be. If you need to run five services that run through the Dolphins game every Sunday, guess where I'll be? I'll be here. And I, I, love, I like football a lot. In fact, I, I could even say I love it. But you want to know what? No longer will I surrender to it. You may love your job. <laughs> you may love your life. You may not want anybody to bother you. Dave, I don't want this God stuff because if I have this God stuff, I'll have to change my life. But today, God is saying surrender your life goals. He's saying surrender this influence you want, you want toward other people and you're trying to push them to things that don't matter. He's saying surrender that. He's saying surrender the imperfection. And most of all, he's saying, hey, that one thing that you've been pursuing, will you give it up? Will you take your hands off? And will you let me be the supplier of every need? It's hard to do, isn't it? This following Jesus stuff isn't easy. But as we come to a response time, I want to tell you this. You need to go home this week. Maybe you know it now. And you need to ask yourself, what's, what's the one thing? And if it's anything else but Christ, you need to go back and say, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? All my hopes and dreams that I've been trying to build on, will you take them? And will you become my only hope? My only hope. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.